Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Zone. I'm here with Aulino and Pinello, and uh, it's official, guys. The last dance, <clears throat> it's done. It's over. Uh, Ten episodes done. Uh, first, before I start going into episode nine and ten, I got I gotta just quickly ask, what was your favorite part of the whole doc, and what was the most eye popping thing you saw? Probably the. Uh... When Scotty, I think I can't remember the episode, but the most eye popping is when Scotty Pip. It was late in the game, and Scotty wanted the ball for himself, and they gave it to Ku Coach. That one really like kind of threw me off. And you see how close they are as a team, and one of the best players in the league to kind of do something like that, and it just kind of throws the whole chemistry off. And then like the message after in the dressing room saying, "Scotty, you let us down, man." And I really feel like that really brought the whole team together. So that moment really stood out for me. It's kind of a low-key moment because the whole thing's based off MJ, but that Scotty moment. I'll give him some love there. Uh, yeah, a few things. Uh, that, of course, Scotty Pippen, uh, the hatred for Jerry Crows. But another thing that really stood out to me before watching this, I was expecting, okay, maybe there'll be some swearing and we'll hear Michael Jordan maybe talk about different things. But he went all out. This is like a whole different, like, completely different personality than what people are known uh, Michael Jordan for. He was saying, like, fuck that guy, and uh, he sees Larry Bird after they beat Indiana. Bitch, fuck you. You gave me that uh, tough challenge. Uh, go improve that golf game now. He starts swinging like a golf club. <laughs> just uh, some of these things that he would do. Uh, just an ultra competitor, uh, even when it comes to gambling, which uh, turned out to be not the greatest at times with him, but it motivated him. So uh, that really stood out to me, how we got to see this other side of Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, do you think if uh, if Jordan didn't retire for that little, what was it, like, year and a half, do you think the Bulls could have won that seventh title? I mean, I don't see why not. They had uh, first team in history to have two three-peats. Uh, or were they the first to have a three-peat? I'm not sure. But the first to have two, and they were pretty much dominated the 90s. Um, I really don't see any reason why they could have gotten two in those years that he left. Oh, yeah, easily. I think 99, that lockout year, too. So uh, if you're building off your chemistry during that time, if you know Michael Jordan's coming back, Scottie Pippen's coming back, uh, Rodman would have came back 100%. Uh, so all those guys together, that core, Steve Kerr, uh, I think they easily win that. Because then you see that year, I think the Spurs won it in 99. So... Tim Duncan and David Robinson uh, at the end of his career. Uh, David Robinson, he was slowly uh, phasing out as being that MVP guy who's turning towards uh, Tim Duncan. So I think the Chicago Bulls would have taken them easily five, six games and won their seventh title. I, I'm surprised they didn't keep it going. Uh, I think that's Jerry Carlson's fault. He should have let it um, be known. Okay, if you win a championship, uh, we're going to continue with you every year so the first time you lose then we'll go in the rebuild mode and i gave you your chance but as long as they kept winning you should have kept the core all together it's pretty funny you say that that uh the spurs won it because literally what was it two years later steve kerr went and he won it with the spurs so that was pretty funny he got um, four do you think uh <laughs> Because I, I watched the doc and they were talking about how he went to baseball and it, they thought it was just a bunch of bullshit. They thought it was just the retirement was bullshit. They thought it was just him. You know, um, it was David Stern giving the best player in the world a break. Um, do you really believe that's the case or do you actually believe that Michael Jordan wanted to pursue a career in baseball? Because even when when the when the lights came for him, he didn't really necessarily want to partake in an MLB game. We saw it. I mean, it was the whole MLB lockout, and then it was that replacement-type players. But if I'm MJ and I want to pursue a, a career in baseball, wouldn't you take that opportunity regardless? Like, he didn't really take it, and then he just went right back to basketball. Yeah, I think that um, – I think he really wanted to do baseball. They really showed it in the doc that it was really his first love. He grew up playing it. His dad really wanted him to play. So it was obviously a really, um, it was a deep, it was really deep for Mike. So like the timing's hilarious, just coming off the three-peat and then like just switching to other sports. You don't really see athletes do that. But I really feel like he was genuine. He really wanted to play baseball. Uh, yeah, so there's that.
Yeah, I think he just got tired of the media attention that he was getting at the time. I thought it was probably overwhelming for him. And that's why I think he went to baseball. Like, of course, his dad died after two, so that didn't make any matters even better for him. So I think he went to baseball as an escape. And then once he felt that he could return to basketball and feel more at peace with it, then he went and joined again, and we saw what happened. So it just sucks, though, because, like, 94, Hakeem Olajuwon was probably, like, the best player. Uh, he was dominating. We saw he did. David Robinson was MVP, and he took him apart in that series, and then Shaq the year after. So it would have been interesting to see MJ and Hakeem Olajuwon in the final, but I think that's the biggest uh, what-if in MJ's career. But uh, no one can deny the run that they were on. He probably could have had eight straight maybe nine straight. Uh, the whole 90s could have been all Chicago Bulls trophies. So uh, that was a big what if of his career. Yeah. Now I want to quickly talk about the 1997 finals with Utah. That's probably, for me, I think that's one of the most famous finals. I think out of all the finals that you kind of think of, like you think of the Cavs and the Warriors in 2016, you know, you think obviously of last year with the Raps. But I think the Utah and and the Bulls final, I think that was one of the best hard-hitting um, competitive finals. Like you had Kevin, you had Carl Malone, who well, he won the MVP, and we all know how MJ reacted to that. He's like, okay, if you want to give him the MVP, I'll show you why. That was a mistake. Um, John Stockton was another guy that was absolutely phenomenal, um, especially at that time. Phil Jackson praised their offense. Um, you want to quickly talk about Game 5? Talk about that pizza. Do you think that that was intentional? Or do you think that was just, oh, MJ was just feeling a little under the weather because it was, you know, the weather or something. But a lot of people believe that it was uh, that Utah pizza delivery guy that tried to screw things up for the Bulls. Do you actually believe that? <laughs> people in Utah are fucking savages. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count it out. But um, that's kind of a tricky one. I'll say maybe. Yeah, I'm going to go maybe, too. But for MJ to eat that with five guys coming up to the door, that must have been one hell of a pizza. I want to know how it looked because uh, for him, they still eat it and trust it after being a little skeptical about it. The smell, the ingredients, the way it was made must have been amazing. The entire pizza, though. Did he really have to do that? <laughs> he's probably competing with himself. It's like his teammates probably said, or the security guard, the one that went into his face and go like that. Probably said, oh, MJ, you can't finish that pizza. So he was competitive. Open up the box and said, I'm going to finish it. It's probably like triple thick dough. Probably well done. Like, MJ, you can't finish it. You're skinny. You're lean. You're not finishing it. And he went and tore it apart, got some food poisoning, and went out and uh, closed the series. So at a boy, MJ. I just love, I love looking at his face after they won. Like, he sits down, and he just has his head down with the, ga the little Gatorade cup. And he's just looking down. He's like, holy shit, I feel like death. And I just put out one of the best games, probably, of my playoff career. And you got to remember, he's coming back from being off for, like, two years. So he's already tired physically and then mentally. And then his body just shutting down. He still wins. He's the GOAT easily. Uh, another thing I want to quickly talk about is, do you think Carl Malone ever felt threatened by, like, even when he won the MVP, do you feel like he knew what was coming? Because, like, you talk about later on in the season, in the, I think it was in the episode when Reggie Miller, you know, in the 98 uh, playoff series when, you know, he, he hit that shot, he pushed MJ, and he hit that dagger. And he's like, oh, there's still 0.2 seconds left. You know, I wouldn't, like, I hit one of the best notes of my career, but MJ's on the floor. I don't know if that would really. And then MJ almost made the shot after getting double covered. Do you really think after Carl Malone winning that MVP, he was thinking, oh, shit, like, this is it. I'm not, I'm not winning a freaking finals here. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's at the back of your mind because you realize how great Mike and Scotty and all those in that whole team is. But for the year that he had to win the MVP and to have Stockton there and to go all the way to the finals, I felt like they really believed they had a chance. So th that's kind of my standpoint on that. Yeah, and they were in a similar situation where uh, they were playing together their entire career. Uh, Stockton retired in 03 and Malone eventually went to the Lakers for that one year. 
uh, didn't work out for him, so he never won a ring. Uh, him and Stockton having that chemistry, they probably in the front of their mind thought, okay, we're going to win this. I'm an MVP. We're going to tear up Chicago. But like Pinello mentioned, in the back of his mind, he's got to know, okay, uh, I'm facing Michael Jordan. This is the finals. He hasn't lost in the finals. He always wins. Uh, so this could be a long series. But I think MJ coming up in that series against Malone and Stockton and stopping them from winning a ring back-to-back years uh they definitely regret that the fan base in utah we saw they were stunned uh poor fan base over there they he broke their heart <laughs> that's all I, I can really say about that he didn't give a shit he, he won his stuff and that was it um yeah i guess uh move like you know moving forward just i want to talk even about like the whole pippin moment where he kind of gave up on his team so why do you think he did that? Like, he just quit, just stopped playing. Like, I know, like, you see that. You probably see that nowadays a little more, but not, like, to that extreme. Like, I remember uh, we talked about it last year. Remember when the Lakers team was just blowing up? Like, you had Rondo sitting away from his teammates. You saw LeBron, like, doing some stupid stuff as well. Do you Like, what were your thoughts when you saw Pippen just kind of, like, just give up and say, like, hey, I'm not going in. Like, I think he's just a very passionate guy. It, um, it comes from a good place because obviously he wanted the ball in his hands and he felt like he was the best option to close the game out. So when they uh, approached it to him that they were going to run it for coach, and he was probably like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? I'm the guy over here. But basically, like, he just wants his team to win, and it's all coming from a good place. I just don't think he realized that at the time. Yeah, same. Like, I don't think he, in hindsight, I think he's like, okay, maybe felt he didn't made the right decision. But I think looking back on it, he's like, probably thinking about that. It wasn't the best of moves and probably regrets it a little bit, but uh, they ended up winning. So uh, I guess you can look at that and say, okay, at least we won out of it. It wasn't like something that turned the whole team into a disaster. And he ended up getting traded and just leading to a whole domino effect. So they were able to maintain that dynasty over there and, I don't think it was as bad later on as it could have been. Well, yeah, because we even remember Pippen, you know, got into it with Kraus. Pippen got into it with other teammates. Um, I feel like him and Horace Grant never really saw eye to eye either. Um, I think Pippen, you know, he was he was the great second option. I think he really wanted to be a first option. But, you know, you have the greatest player of all time on your team. you got to take second fiddle. Kind of like what Steve Kerr said, you know, when he had his moment, you know, talking about his dad's uh, death. Um, and it's like, hey, like every shot counts when you're on that team because you get like five shots a game. So, you know, if you start missing your shots, it gets in your head. So uh, I, that's why I kind of don't like I, I understand with Pippen, like you, you have a limit of shots every game because MJ's going to take like 40. So I think, yeah, he was just a little frustrated and. You know, everyone gets over competitive sometimes and they lose their mind and they lose what they believe is right. And uh, sometimes what they think is right is completely wrong and very selfish. And that is exactly what the case was. But my favorite part in this whole series was probably when uh, they faced the Supersonics and they had Gary, <laughs> Gary Payton going up against MJ and just... You know, when I saw him looking at the tablet and laughing, that was probably one of my favorite parts. Gary Payton did a great job. I thought, you know, trash talking him, saying, oh, you know, you're not, <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not 23, you're 45. <laughs> and then he, then he went off after that and he changes his number back to 23. Um, what were your guys' initial thoughts on Gary Payton uh, guarding MJ? And do you think, Gary Payton actually poised a pretty good threat to MJ, or do you think that was just in the moment? I thought he did as good as a job as anyone could have done. That's a that's a twelve time All Star, and the way Mike was looking at the tablet and just laughing him off was fucking hysterical because he he really believes he's in a league of his own, and he probably is. So I thought he did a solid job, but yeah, he can only hold him down for so long. Yeah, he did. The best job possible. He's a great defensive player, but 
Michael Jordan's reaction to this whole thing just tells you one person remembers it one way and the other one knows it to come out completely different. Gary Payton thinks it went the way he did, uh, the way he was telling his story. And uh, I'm sure when he was watching MJ's reaction on TV, like everyone else, he was probably like, fuck, it wasn't that good. It's so funny when he's like, yeah, you know, you just got to, you just got to tire him out, tire him out. And he's just looking at his tablet. He's like laughing. He's like, well, I won. You lost. So who's laughing? Um, but uh, another thing I want to bring up, too, is uh, when, when uh, what was it? Um, when, it was recently. I saw it on, on Instagram. Horace Grant came out after this whole thing finished. And he's like, yeah, MJ's a snitch. He's calling me a snitch. MJ's the snitch. You know, uh, <laughs> did you guys hear about that? I, I, I saw Stephen A. talking about it. I think it was today or yesterday saying how MJ or Horace Grant came out saying that MJ's the biggest snitch he's ever been up like he's ever played with. Um, what do you what are your guys thoughts on Horace Grant? I know he never really saw eye to eye, I guess, with the whole Bulls organization. He dipped, went to Orlando. And the rest was kind of history. Uh, what were you guys' thoughts on Horace Grant's comments on MJ? Guess I'm not uh, that surprised, given that Mike said from the very beginning that this doc is not going to make me look good at all. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that some things are coming out a little bit after this. But it, it could be that, you know, the guy's just a competitor. And maybe it was those days with Orlando when they absolutely smashed the magic the next year. So maybe he is a little salty. Who knows? Yeah. Just uh, looking back on episode one, you don't need to know that Michael Jordan uh, won't share stories of what happened and keep it in the room when he was talking about going to the hotel room and seeing all the accessories, we'll say, of uh, being a pro athlete in the 80s. So I think Horace Grant, it may have rubbed them the wrong way a little bit, hearing uh, MJ talk about some of the stuff and uh, diminishing him in the playoffs, but there's nothing you can do. He beat him that one year and then he came back and got destroyed. So it's not much of an argument you can make there. Not at all. Um, all right, moving forward. I want to quickly talk about, this is a tough topic. It's always going to be a tough topic after watching the doc. You know, a lot of people kind of had, um, even with Kobe's death, you know, you, you kind of, a lot of people bump Kobe to second all time or third all time. I don't think he's in the top five. That's just my opinion. Um, but I've seen a lot of people, you know, after this doc came out, they've started to talk more and more seriously about the Mount Rushmore of basketball. Who's the top four? Uh, who's, you know, like top 10? I know we're not, I'm not going to give you guys off the bat. Just give me top 10 players. That's hard. But if you guys had to pick four players in like a Mount Rushmore type scenario, we all know MJ's there, but it's kind of unclear after that because a lot of people, they love LeBron and they hate LeBron. It's either he's in the top three or he's not in the top five. That's at least how I've seen it. Like Jalen Rose had him at five. Um, and I've seen a lot of people, I've seen, you know, Kendrick Perkins say he's number one. So, I mean, if you guys had to kind of make a Mount Rushmore quickly off the top of your head, who do you think is on the Mount Rushmore other than Michael Jordan? Start it off. Oh, me? Yeah. Um, thinking about it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of tough, though. Like, even Kobe Bryant, like, you see how, uh, I guess, ESPN's tune, like, tone towards his ranking in basketball kind of changed after he died. Uh, before that, they were not really talking about him in the top three or top two, and uh, now they put him there. So I don't see him as a top two, but I do have him in that top five area. Uh, you have to have Michael Jordan at one, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's still the leading scorer. Uh, Michael Jordan probably would have passed him if he didn't take the two years in his prime off, but, uh, you have to have him there because of the rules that they changed for him. Uh, another one would have to be probably LeBron, uh, and then with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, one of those two, and then I'd have Kobe Bryant. Uh, <clears throat> I probably don't have Kobe in there. I probably have like top three shooting guards of all time. Probably just misses the list. I, I think I'd have LeBron in that four spot there. Uh, Mike's obviously got to be one. Uh, I think a lot of people really sleep on Magic Johnson. 
Like, he's kind of one of the guys in there. Like, oh, if LeBron's going to pass someone, it'll just be magic. Like, he dominated for a very good chunk of his career, too. I wouldn't just sleep on him. So, like, maybe I'll go Mike, uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and LeBron off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I like uh, – I really do like what Larry and Magic did. You know, most of the 80s, they just dominated. Uh, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people sleep on on both those guys. They're, it, again, they're either overrated or they're underrated. And a lot of people, at least in this – you know, like around our age, they underrate them because they didn't really see what they, what they did. But, man, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was just something else. He was he was a freakish athlete. He was a scoring freak. Um, what he did in his career was absolutely insane. He won at every level easily. So he's 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 in it for me as well. I think I have LeBron in that as well. But I'm not really sure who I have in that last spot. It's it's between Magic, Larry, and and prob it's probably Bill Russell just because of how successful he was. But I I can't really. I can't really discuss Bill Russell. I didn't really see him play. So it's probably Magic Johnson. He's probably going to be the fourth guy. So I have, yeah, it's probably MJ, LeBron, Kareem, and Magic, who are my Mount Rushmore. But Larry Bird, he's probably one of the most unguardable players of all time. Um, Like I've said to you guys, my dad was a huge Larry Bird fan growing up. We have this Larry Bird ornament that he's kept since, like, 1980 or something and we put it on our tree every year so uh he's he's shown me like for a long time how important larry has not even been just to the celtics just to basketball how important he's been so larry is definitely right there you always have to intertwine him with magic so just like what pinello said you know it's just you put larry your magic in there and you're fine but uh yeah kobe bryant he's just a guy where I think it was it was one of the ESPN guys. They had him number two all time, and I kind of thought about that, and I'm like, like no doubt he had a great legacy. God rest his soul. Five rings. He only had one MVP. He probably should have had like four. Um, <laughs> it's just like you got to kind of blame Steve Nash for that, but uh, it's just you can't put him number two. I I just I can't see him being the second best player of all time just because MJ's number one. And he's a poor man's MJ. And when you think of when you think of the number one player and then you think of the number two player, it's just off how the number two player is so much like the number one player. So I can't put Kobe second. LeBron to me is probably second or third because of what he's still doing at 35. It's ridiculous. It's his 17th year, going to be his 18th year in the league. He came in the league when we were eight years old. We're now 25. And he's still doing, you know, just ridiculous things magic evolutionized the game uh, a lot of people like like myself i think when all is said and done if steph curry can win two more rings I, you can easily put him up there with magic as the greatest point guard of all time a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that they're going to say chris how can you put curry in the same you know wavelength as magic johnson you just got to talk about he's the greatest shooter ever Period. There's no sugarcoating anything. Steph Curry's the greatest shooter ever. The first ever unanimous MVP winner in history. And he's already got three rings. He's gone to the finals five years in a row. Um, a lot of people say, oh, Katie had a lot to do with that, blah, blah, blah. You know, the team was unstoppable. But you got to remember, the winningest team in NBA history did not have Kevin Durant on it. It was Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And they just, he revolutionized the game of basketball just as much as Magic Johnson did. So what are you guys' thoughts on if Steph Curry were to maybe win two more rings? Do you see him potentially being in that conversation? And do you think fans would generally like that uh, fact if it were true? I have him in the, you know what, I have him in the ballpark right now. Like he's maybe just outside that Mount Rushmore in that like four, five, six spot with all the things that he's already done in his career, the MVPs, the scoring titles, he's only 30 years old. He still has so much time to give. I don't see any reason why he can't be one of the, the or the best point guard of all time, potentially. Yeah, same. I think if he gets a finals MVP, that will put him in that discussion. If he gets two finals MVPs, then that really gets him in the mix there. But uh, looking at it, I think even like with Mount Rushmore, why some people might have Kobe at number two, 
is probably more to do with the kind of global star he was uh, more than a player. Like MJ, number one, for uh, changing the game, changing how much money everyone makes, changing uh, just the NBA's image worldwide. And then you see Kobe Bryant kind of take that and you see how popular it is around the world. So I think that's why some people might have Kobe ahead of LeBron just in terms of worldwide popularity. But yeah, Steph Curry, if he could get uh, two more and two finals MVPs, you have to make them uh, against Magic Johnson for like best point guard. He would definitely pass Isaiah Thomas if he hasn't done so already. So I think that's uh, those three you can't really argue against. Yeah, uh, just I don't I don't really know what else to say with basketball. Maybe uh, we always talk about this all the time. Uh, my friends brought it up yesterday at work. Are you going with the 2017 Warriors or are you going with the 1995 Bulls? I'm probably taking the Bulls. I feel like that is the safer pick. I may be a little biased just because I did watch the documentary. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Bulls just so no one kills me. Yeah, I'm just going with the Bulls. They never lost in the final. Golden State did multiple times. So they have to remember that. Uh, they went 73-9, and but they didn't win a ring. So it doesn't mean shit. Jordan, <laughs> they went 72-10, and and they capped it off with a championship. So they had the parade when they set that record season. Golden State had a few tears, and they went out and got Kevin Durant the next year. So you can't really have them go against a team that actually won it. So I'm going to go with the Bulls just for that. But uh, it wouldn't make for an interesting game that I still think the Bulls, depending on what rules they play in, they probably win in both. So, yeah, go in Chicago on that. Now my last question before we go to wrestling. Um, Kevin Durant, two-time final MVP, two-time champ, goes to Brooklyn, doesn't play the first year. He's going to play next year. He's, we all know he's going to ball out. Where do you guys rank Kevin Durant when it comes to this era in terms of complete player? Is he a top five player when you think of maybe like 2000s on? Because a lot of people that I've talked to, they have Kevin Durant as one of the greatest players actually of all time. They have him just outside the top 10. And I think that that may be a little too soon, but he's one of the best scorers I've ever seen. And what do you think he can do with this Brooklyn team? Do you really believe that Kevin Durant, because the whole argument with this whole career has been that he's had the two times he's won the, the title, he's had company. He's had Steph, he's had Clay, he's had Draymond. So do you think Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn and now with Kyrie Irving basically injury prone, can you see Kevin Durant winning a chip with Brooklyn? And if he does, what does that do for his legacy? Well, I think KD is already, like, he's one of the most efficient scorers I've ever seen. He's already, like, top 50 all-time in scoring. He still has so much time to go. Um, I think he's going to be right there, like, about when his career is it's all said and done. He, I think he's one of the best players, honestly. Um, the, with Brooklyn, if he gets them to, like, a championship, that does so much more for him. He's already got the two MVPs, and then if you go to another team and then bring them along. But, like, everyone needs help. So you can't do it by yourself. So uh, regardless of who he's playing for or, you know, whatever, I think Katie's one of the most talented players I've ever seen, one of the most efficient scorers. Wherever he goes, he's going to do damage. And, you know, you got a night, even Kyrie not playing, he's still got a nice young group of guys there he could lead along. So love KD. Can't wait to see what he does next year. Yeah, I'm with you. I want to see what he does in his first few games back, how he adjusts uh, recovering from the injury. And uh, then chemistry, gelling with his teammates. He hasn't played with those guys before, so it's going to take a while. Uh, probably won't be like overnight where all of a sudden Brooklyn's this uh, Eastern Conference juggernaut just dominating. I think it's going to take some time uh, before they're even in that discussion. They might have some uh, roadblocks along the way, some back and forth of uh, whether this whole duo would work, but... I think in time, people are going to realize that this team's going to probably be for real and could be a mainstay in the Eastern Conference Finals. Do you think this team could beat out Giannis if he stays with the Bucks? Absolutely. I think Brooklyn has a little bit more there. Uh, they're just like their young group of guys. Like Giannis, it's, the whole team's kind of like, it's all revolved around him. 
as it should be. He's obviously the best player. He's a fucking freak. I just think Brooklyn has a little bit more team-wise. They could, uh, I don't know, I, th- I like the matchup for Brooklyn. Yeah, I think Brooklyn has more tools there. Uh, they'll have to go and find a way to get in the paint when Giannis is in there. They have more bigs there. Like Chris Middleton can be uh, both a shooter and a presence defensively uh, with the size. So I think Brooklyn matches up a lot better with them and probably would beat them out. All right, Alino, time for you to start bringing up wrestling. It's that time. we got to go to the ring. Actually, before, I was watching uh, just uh, one final thing on uh, hoop. Uh, I was watching this thing with Michael Jordan. Uh, it was during the lockout year, and he absolutely destroyed someone in a Bulls practice. Who, he showed up. The guy was uh, saying how he can beat Jordan, and the message got back to him, showed up, tore him apart. And then uh, there was a media scrum where they kind of asked him, if Phil Jackson uh, talked to him, if he would go to L.A., and then it got me thinking, can you imagine Shaq, Kobe, and MJ on the same team? Would that work? Oh, my God. No, I don't think that would work. Those are three huge egos just clashing. Uh, we knew that, you know, MJ, I mean, uh, Kobe and Shaq, like it worked, but at times it was just so bad. Like, they would fight, and the tension was there for quite some time. So imagine if you had MJ to the mix there. Shaq won't get as many touches. Kobe won't get as many touches. They all got to split it evenly. I don't even know how that would work. I don't think it would work, but that would have easily been the best trio of all time. No questions asked. That's it. That, that, just end that, end that topic right there. They'd probably treat it like a three-on-three, and they used uh, the two other guys as decoys, and they just fuck everyone else up. (laughs) Can you imagine the practices? MJ getting on the younger players and Kobe going up and challenging them one-on-one, and they'll probably go 10 hours just going back and forth fighting. Then they'll probably rip on Shaq and bully him. Hey, you're out of shape. The big man came up out of shape. He's got 340 pounds in the summer. Would you do Shaq? (laughs) And then Shaq would probably get pissed probably punch both of them in the face. I think it would be probably one of the best media circuses in basketball history. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I feel like Shaq would, like, he'd give up. Like, he'd be there for, like, two years, and he'd be like, fuck this, I'm out of here. I'm going to my own team. I'm going to fucking kill these guys on the court. Fuck them. (laughs) Then MJ would smash them both in the finals. Oh, man. Yeah. Just laughing, (laughs) Shaq. Love it. But, uh, yeah, so uh, on to wrestling on Monday. We finally got something. It's looking like Impact Wrestling uh, saw the future a little bit because Bobby Lashley comes out with MVP. They were formerly the Beatdown Clan in Impact. We got Samoa Joe on commentary, another former member there. Drew McIntyre is a world champion, and Bobby Lashley's putting him on notice. So 2016 Impact Programming. It's coming to Monday Night Raw. What do you think about this uh, feud in 2020? I love it. I feel like they all went to Vince. They sat down and said, look, you're not using all of us to our full potential. Let us go out here on Monday Night Raw, show you what we can do. Bobby Lashley hasn't really been given a fair chance. He's a two-time IC champ, and no one really remembers it. It wasn't really given the ball. So to take on a guy like Drew McIntyre, given where his career has gone over the last few years in that main event spot, this is awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Two heavyweights finally going at it. Um, we've seen them in factions. We've seen them, you know, on programming before. And it it, it hasn't really panned out, especially for Bobby Lashley. We've uh, talked about him facing potentially Lesnar for two years. And it hasn't come. It hasn't happened. His feud with Finn Balor was absolutely terrible. I thought that could have been better. Uh, they basically buried Lashley. Any credibility he had building up and then, you know, they paired him with Lana and then that all kind of went downhill. I feel like finally this is where I I thought Leo Rush would have been, again, another perfect manager for his come up. But I guess MVP is the better option here. And I think Drew McIntyre is the perfect first opponent for a major WWE championship match. Drew is putting on solid matches almost every time he goes out in the ring Bobby Lashley is looking a lot more motivated now. 
uh, with no, you know, no Roman Reigns. Seth Rollins is taking a back seat now, at least for now. Um, so I really don't know. A lot of people are saying Bobby Lashley's going to go over here. I don't think that's the case. I think I, I said when we were talking about WrestleMania, I think if Drew's going to win the title, he has to hold it for a while. So if this goes for a couple of months, if this is like the main SummerSlam feud, I all I still have suspicion that Brock Lesnar's going to come back and feud with Drew at some point. But this is a, if this is a filler type program, it's it's it should be uh, worth way more than just a filler. Like Bobby Lashley, like this. Like remember when Rusev faced AJ Styles for the WWE title, and we're all like, okay, is this? Is this for real or is this just kind of like a filler and it was just a filler and it was a great match, but Vince never kind of thought about it again. So I feel like we may be seeing this happen in our very own eyes again with Lashley. I'm really hoping not, but I, I still think Drew has to, he has to hold it. He has to retain here. And, and I think there's a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah take take it, no, no, you got it, got it. <laughs> there are a lot of examples in the past when guys just kind of like take a backseat for a while and then they get this fucking monstrous push and then throw them right into the main event spot. I'm hoping Bobby's not this guy where it's just the one and done thing and then they move him off to the side. So I remember last week, like last week or the week before you brought up Andrade, he should keep the US title. So I felt like if they throw him with Drew, they'll just fucking bury Andrade and then forget about him. Really hope that's not the case with Lashley. He hasn't really been given a fair chance. So I hope it's not a one and done and they can just keep this feud going for a little while. Yeah, I was looking, like, as you guys were talking, I was uh, typing in the Rusev and AJ, when you brought that up, I almost forgot about that (laughs) on SmackDown. (laughs) I have to make sure, like, when did this happen? So, yeah, uh, Rusev and AJ Styles had a very forgettable one-on-one feud there for the World Championship, so... Yeah, hopefully it doesn't go down in that direction, but uh, an interesting thing that could happen here, uh, I think this will go on for maybe two months. Uh, there's backlash, and I think extreme rules after this, so could this potentially lead to Jinder costing Drew the title and we see Brock <laughs> come back to take on Bobby Lashley? If that, if that were to happen... I'd be pissed off, but like I see where you're coming from, but I I don't want to see I don't want to see Jinder versus Drew just yet, and I don't want to see it in a singles match. I want to see that for the be- for the belt, but apparently uh, Jinder is a face now, and I don't know if that's the case or not. He he had that backstage promo, and he's like, oh, like I want to kind of congratulate Drew, and I want to you know build up my credibility again, just like Drew did. So. I don't really know what to believe with Jinder right now. I feel like he's a guy where Vince could maybe just be playing to the audience just because Drew won and they've had some sort of ties in the past. I don't know what's going to happen. I We've been saying for so long that we want to see Lashley versus Brock. Um, I don't really know if that'll pan out, though, with no crowd. I really want to see Lashley versus Lesnar with a full crowd. But... Nah, Alino, I got to disagree. I think I want to see Drew versus Brock for the belt. Maybe hold it off Lashley for a bit. Maybe build him up a little more. Keep building credibility, getting these wins on Raw. Keep going, keep going. But no, I'll say Drew versus uh, Brock at SummerSlam is going to happen. I think regardless of what happens there, Jinder will get his chances. He's going to be this goofy goofy little face for a while. Like, yeah, I remember 3MB, all the good times, going to get on Drew's good side. And then he's going to turn heel just like that. And then that will be the one and done feud. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> Don't hinder gender. Our boy, Canadian, gender Mahal. Uh, but another feud, I don't know why this is out there. It kind of makes sense, but I kind of have my doubts of wanting to see it. Like this whole thing with Edge and Orton, uh, this whole greatest wrestling match ever thing that they keep building up and getting everyone's hopes up about. But once this feud is over, there's like, some people speculating it could lead to Edge versus Seth Rollins. And uh, if you saw Seth Rollins versus Sting played out, who uh, didn't really have the neck condition going in and took a buckle bomb. I don't think I want Edge in the ring at this point of his career and life with uh, Seth Rollins. Am I uh, <laughs> wrong for thinking that? No, you're not. Uh, he's had his major injuries and he was off for eight years. So I totally understand where you're coming from. 
Seth, I think, has become a little bit more aware in the ring, you know, what's safe and what isn't, especially given the age. Because I think at the time when Seth was being handed everything and, you know, you have Sting come back, I think that kind of pissed him off, like genuinely. I think Seth Rollins was kind of like, I just beat John Cena. I have both belts and you're going to put me against Sting in the main event of a pay-per-view. Like, I feel like he wasn't mentally mature yet, Seth, at the time. I think now, you know, five years later, he's got that experience. He's actually probably one of the longest tenured guys there now when I think of, like, full-time guys. So I feel like he's a leader in the locker room. He's a leader out when he goes in the ring. I feel like Seth and and Edge, I, I understand, you know, having the worries with Edge, but if he could have a last man standing match with Randy Orton and everything, you know, is I guess fine and dandy, I could see it working out. No doubt about it. All right. Uh, Piniello speechless and has left for the time being. We're going to reconnect with Anthony Piniello and get his thoughts on AJ or sorry, Seth Rollins versus Edge. I think maybe Piniello didn't uh, like the idea of this. I think he knows that Edge <laughs> is neck taking a buckle bomb would probably be the end of it. And uh, it's going to reconnect, uh, getting the link to him uh, as we speak. But uh, Chris, another one that's kind of uh, coming up. What do you think of this whole Andrade, Angel Garza, and Austin Theory thing? Uh, do you think Austin Theory is even going to stay on the roster? Or are they just going to phase him out once this whole Seth Rollins, uh, I guess, uh, Monday Night Messiah thing wears out? I don't know what to expect. I know that he joined the Seth Rollins last night or Monday. Uh, he, he got jumped by Andrade and Garza, and then he joined Seth. Uh, I feel like I want him to stay on the roster because he's done such a great job, regardless of the role he's been in. But, you, you know, you got you to gotta bite the bullet sometime. Um, I don't know if if, it, if he's only on the roster because of the coronavirus. Like, we will never really know if that's the case, but um, it would be a pretty normal way of him getting sent off TV if, like, Alistair Black were to kick his teeth in and injure him and send a message to Seth saying, you know, I'm Alistair Black. I've had one of the most impressive resumes the last year on in, on WWE television. Like who's this who's this twenty two year old guy like that you just you know uh, got in your crew like I'm gonna knock him out I'm gonna send a message to you so I I can see it like that and that Austin Theory kind of joining Seth can be like a sacrifice like that's the whole story with the Monday Night Messiah like he's so godly that he just gets sacri- like he just gets people to sacrifice themselves for him I could see that uh, but. You know what I think is going to happen here? I feel like at the end of the day, we're going to get a Buddy Murphy versus Seth Rollins feud. I just see that happening because Buddy, man, he's getting shafted. When Seth doesn't want to compete, okay, Buddy, just go in there and, and, and compete for me. You know, just do it. I think at the end of the day, he's going to keep doing that on a consistent basis. You're going to see Seth in the suit more and more. And I feel like that's going to trigger Buddy and be like, well, listen, like, why aren't you wrestling? Like, what's going on here? So I do want to see Buddy Murphy. Like, we all talked about him being one of the guys to maybe win Money in the Bank. I think that would have been perfect. But I I do want to see Seth Rollins versus Buddy Murphy down the line. I think that would absolutely be phenomenal. And um, just get Austin Theory, I guess, off TV with him joining the Monday Night Messiah and being that sacrificial lamb for (laughs) Seth Rollins. Does anyone yeah, so know got, why Austin Theory uh, switched from being with the Latinos over to Seth? Does that make any sense to anyone? No, doesn't. We were just talking. He's he, uh, the Monday Night Messiah. He needs some sacrificial lambs because he's so godly. So Austin Theory's <laughs> in that sacrifice, and, and there what it is. Did you see him in that suit last week? Oh boy! Um, he's <laughs> going up and touching his face and going, Austin, join us, like. No social distancing during a pandemic. You're not supposed to touch your face. And this guy's going and touching everyone's fucking face. So uh, what, do you, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this, Pinello? And uh, we didn't get your thoughts there. You disconnected. Uh, we had some little technical troubles. What are your thoughts on uh, Edge and Seth Rollins' potential career-ender match? Or would that be uh, just another solid matchup? Well, uh, this, this kind of goes back to WrestleMania when I said I didn't mind him and Orton going on so long because I didn't think Edge had a whole lot of time left. 
So to take on a guy like Seth Rollins, who uh, unfortunately has a bit of a track record when it comes to taking people out. I'm not going to say he's dangerous or anything because he's one of the most talented guys ever. But like, this is a dream match scenario. Uh, if, if Edge is healthy and you know he's rolling, he feels like he can do it. I would love to see these two go at it. Um, he's in the best shape of his life, really. Uh, Seth is doing some solid work. I don't know how they would meet, really, but uh, this would be something I'd really be interested in seeing. What do you think? Uh, another guy who's popping in now on SmackDown. They have this Intercontinental Championship tournament. Uh, is AJ going to win the title? Because he's the only Raw guy that's in this. He's facing Shinsuke on SmackDown. And then he has uh, a potential final with Daniel Bryan. So I don't think Jeff Hardy or Sheamus will win. This is probably just something where they screw each other over and start their feud. So do you think this is uh, something we're going to get to see AJ as a mid-card champ again? We'll see, this is where that. I really want to see yeah. Sheamus win. Like, I I want to see Sheamus win this only because he has not won the IC title. Um, I actually don't remember the last time he had a title other than 2015. So, uh, okay, well, other than the tag team titles. But it'd be pretty rejuvenating to see Sheamus have another singles run, would it not? Like, we haven't seen him be in that role for a while like like Pinel just said with Edge, I'll say the same for Sheamus. He's in the best shape of his life. Um, I know Jeff Hardy just came back. He's fresh off a return. I don't really know if Jeff is going to win, but I have a hunch that the winner of Jeff Hardy Sheamus is going to maybe go the distance here. I know Elias for sure is not winning. <laughs> so uh, I'll say it's probably between AJ Bryan and Sheamus for me. But I want to. You know what? I, I want Sheamus to win. I want. I really want to see him win this tournament. I hope it's not like uh, like when they gave Jeff and Randy the U.S. title. Like, hold on to this for two weeks just so we can say you're a Grand Slam champion. If Sheamus wins the IC title, it's got to be a grand fucking celebration. I want a half an hour final match with AJ Styles, kick his fucking head off, and then fireworks going off. And hold that title for a while. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't really react to that. That'd be amazing. Uh, so we got, uh, I guess, on wrestling... Another thing we can talk about this Saturday, uh, AEW is back on pay-per-view. They got uh, Double or Nothing, the second uh, annual pay-per-view event that they're going to go with uh, during their May uh, Memorial Long Weekend. So this year they have, a, I guess, a big uh, stadium brawl planned with uh, the Elite and Matt Hardy taking on the Inner Circle. They have John Moxley defending the title against uh, Brody Lee. So it's like Luke Harper, Dean Ambrose going there for their main title. And they have uh, Mike Tyson going to be involved presenting the title to Cody or Lance Archer, the TNT championship. Uh, are you guys excited for this event? And uh, what are you mostly looking forward to out of this? Uh, I'm mostly looking forward to Brody Lee's breakout performance. Um, he's going to knock. I think he's going to absolutely kill it. He's never had this spotlight before. The only time he's had remotely anything close was probably his feud with the Shield or the IC title run he had. Um, we all know we saw a little glimpse of him uh, in the WWE title picture, but that was just a tease. I really didn't amount to anything. Um, they made him look very, very believable here as a leader of the Dark Order. I said that right away, that he would probably be aligned with them in some way, shape, or form, and I was right. Um, John Moxley as the face is still kind of iffy to me. I don't really like it, but um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they gave the belt right away to Brody Lee. Like I would not be surprised at all. Uh, um, I, but I've, again, I've been saying since Moxley won, I, I thought that was a mistake. I thought Jericho should have held it held it a little longer, especially now having this inner circle. But again, they're they're um, focusing more on you know the the two. Um, they're focusing on the inner circle versus the elite. So like, that's a big time program right now. Matt Hardy is fresh off going there as well. So you have two brand new stars in Matt Hardy and Brody Lee. I think those are going to be two of the main, um, they're going to be two guys that are going to get, I think the spotlight come, come double or nothing, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say Brody Lee wins. I'm going to say he wins the title here. Uh, and uh, I think this is going to be his uh, coming out party. Remember when they said they weren't going to sign all these WWE guys? Yeah, that lasted a long time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I really, I didn't know a whole 
like what much of else Brody Lee can do because you only saw him in one character for so long. So just seeing him turn the the switch, like he he sounds so educated, the way he speaks, he comes out with that big beard, it kind of throws you off. So I've been really impressed with him and um, everything that Matt Hardy's doing because he's been on and off with WWE for so long. And you still see now you see him on a weekly basis on Wednesday nights, and you just see that the guy creative freedom is just off the fucking charts. Um, I I don't know if you saw on Dynamite, but um, when they destroyed the fucking drone, like eight of them, and then that gets in the ring and they all scatter. Like, why are there eight guys running away from one? So I just found that funny. But yeah, everything Brody Lee's doing, I'm very impressed with him. Him and John Moxley should be a banger. Excited for that. Yeah, I'm with you guys there. Uh, another thing there uh, in the AEW, uh, you talked about how intellectual uh, Brody Lee's coming off. We saw in WWE Eric Rowan was an intellectual peer of Daniel Bryan. Will we eventually see Eric Rowan become another member of the Dark Order and have a big debut over there? Oh, this is very WCW. If it that is. happens, <laughs> I mean, it would obviously be, be very entertaining and everything would make sense, but like, I don't, I don't want to see all these WWE guys jump ship because like everything they, they said from the beginning and this is our company and we're not going to sign these guys. We're going to give these Indies guys a chance. It seems like they're kind of going back on that because all their main programs consist of main WWE guys from within the last five years. Oh, yeah, they're definitely going against it. Uh, I, I can see him signing, but I feel like Rusev is more of a priority for them. Uh, I'm going to say it right now. I think Rusev is signing with AEW regardless. It's it's set in stone. I I think it's happening. I don't know, though, what to believe with Eric Rowan. Uh, he's a guy where he was scratching and clawing to be relevant, and he was with Daniel Bryan, and then they just got rid of him like nothing. So I really don't know. what. what like, again, there were a lot of guys that got released. Um, I don't know how many are going to jump ship to AEW, uh, but – we all kind of figured that when they say that no WWE guys or a limit of them are going to go there, we all know it's going to happen because WWE is the biggest company. And, you know, when they get released, the talent level is there. Like we're also waiting for the revival to go there too. So it's going to happen. Um, if Eric Rowan maybe debuts uh, and helps Brody Lee win, I wouldn't even be surprised with that either. So it's kind of like, it'd be it'd be actually pretty cool because it'd be like a, a nightmare for for John Moxley because he was a part of the Shield. He doesn't have his brothers there, and you have um, you see Brody Lee and Eric Rowan on the other side with a whole different company, a whole different look, and it's for the main title. So that would be pretty damn funny. Not gonna lie, I didn't even think about the Shield and the White family. That completely slipped my mind just because Brody Lee's doing so much different shit, and he's it's just been awesome. So I didn't even think about that. Buddy. <laughs> Another thing with AEW, now that they're a little over a year in with, uh, I guess, as a company, a year ago, they had their first event there. This is going to be uh, now, I guess, the first official year that they've been running shows. Now that they've been, uh, I guess, on Dynamite on a week-to-week basis and we got a chance to evaluate them going forward, how do you think... Uh, they've used Kenny Omega. Do you think it's been a flop the way they've uh, treated him? Should he be a lot more as a singles guy, world champ? What do you think? What are your, I guess, your thoughts on the way uh, he's panned out so far? Uh, I think the biggest flop for them was Neville um, or uh, whatever his name is. Um, but he, uh, it was just, it was just, you had Neville and, and Omega go at it. Or uh, what the hell's his name? Pock. 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 Sorry. Uh, they, I think they they really screwed up with that. Um, you know, there's diff- there's probably different clauses on superstars going there. Like, I guarantee you, when John Moxley signed there, in the clause it was you're gonna win the the AEW title, and he did. But I thought when Kenny Omega went, I thought he was potentially going to be the guy. To, to carry the company and we haven't seen that at all so it's pretty eye-opening because i thought he was the greatest wrestler the last like three four years without a question like when you think of everything he did in new japan and the matches he had with okada and 
Tada and Tanahashi and all these other guys. And he made new, well, he didn't make new Japan, but the matches he was putting on was just out of this world. And then you go to AEW and you're seen as one of the key presidents and, you know, he's going to have a big role and then he doesn't really win anything. So to me, I think this is building up for a big moment for him, whether like you have Brody Lee win the title and then you could have like uh, the elite go up against the dark order. And then you could have Kenny Omega represent them and win the title down the line. But my biggest question is after all this is said and done, what does John Moxley do? Like, does he face Jericho? Does he face um, Guevara? Does he face Darby Allen? Like uh, we, I don't really know who he faces. So with that being said, I think the biggest storyline for me has, yeah, has been Kenny Omega not really getting anything in the first year. I think that has definitely been eye-popping. And, yeah, uh, I won't say concerning, but, yeah, very surprising. I don't know if it's been a flop. It's definitely been surprising because everyone thought he'd win the world title right away and he'd be, he'd be the anchor of AEW. But... He's one of those guys, regardless of what he's doing, he, if he's going to be featured every week and people are always going to pay attention, he's one of the most charismatic wrestlers I have ever laid eyes on. Um, I think his time's coming and it will be a, a very big payoff when he does get that world title, but just I'll just say it's been a slow build for now. Yeah, I think it's been a slow build too and a little bit like disappointing at the same time because here's a guy I think the way they're building Cody up to be like this big baby face, win everything and be yeah. in the spotlight. I think that's the way they should be booking Kenny Omega. And maybe it's going to take uh, Kenny Omega turning heel again and really going into his uh, new Japan character, more the bullet club character, uh, because this version of Kenny Omega seems to be like, he's missing something. Uh, I think he needs to like, get that edge. And if they put him in a big singles program as a heel, and allow him to build all that momentum again uh, from scratch with a North American audience. I think that's probably the only thing I can benefit him because right now as a tag champ, Hangman Page has been on uh, TV, this whole COVID thing. So when he comes back, that's probably the one-on-one -on -one feud that Hangman, it has to benefit him more. So I think Hangman comes out on top there. So you're looking at Kenny Omega, probably not going to be booked as a prominent guy for another eight months, maybe a nine months, a year. So it's kind of, concerning a little bit let's just end this pod with becky we didn't talk about it she's uh, off tv now roman reigns is off tv what kind of direction do you guys think we see the women's division kind of go uh down the line do we have Shayna baszler dominating do we have oscar dominating do we have naya jacks dominating uh it's very exciting right now because becky she was carrying it for a year and a half. Uh, I'll start, I guess, with you, Pags. What 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 direction do you think the women's division is going to go in? I think as you think as like the face of the brand. I think they'll be picking up pieces every week as they go. I don't think anyone expected this. Like Becky, Becky pretty much carried Raw for that entire year. When we were breaking this down, it's like okay, there's Becky, and then there's everyone else. So when you take out Becky, you're basically starting fresh. Nia Jax coming back. When she did, is that's pretty ideal. You can use her right now. I think Shayna Baszler, any fucking time, she could just blow the roof off the place. It's just a matter of when they want to give her that direction or that spotlight. So um, I think Shayna's the one going forward. There's still potential over there. But, uh, yeah, we'll see Becky a long time from now. Jesus. Yeah. Um, for Raw, I think it's a little bit more clear what they have with Asuka and Naya and Shayna, I think that's a trio they're going to go with more. Uh, they try to build up Liv Morgan now recently with those um, backstage vignettes and promos. I think they're going to continue that week by week. Uh, Ruby Riot, they've just completely misused a lot. You see Charlotte flopping from three different brands, getting all these matches, and it's not doing anything for the talent that's already on those uh, rosters to begin with. And then SmackDown, I think we're just going to see that direction. Bailey, Sasha... And then you have the, I guess, the second-tier feud with Mandy, Sonya, while everyone else just finds a place or something to do. And then the women's tag division, yeah, I think it's just the only two teams you have, the Iconics and Alexa and Nikki Cross. So I think one thing I'd like to see them do is build up a, a credible tag division where teams can come in and make a name for themselves and slowly develop to 
that level where WWE's comfortable with putting him in a singles run. So uh, that's the only thing I think that's lacking that they need more improvement on. All right. That was a great podcast, boys. Talked about a lot of shit. Got it done. <laughs> was solid. Uh, yeah, that was the 81st episode. Went a lot smoother than 80. So uh, the fill number that Piniello brought up before this was uh, perfect. Uh, next week, hopefully, we'll know more about the NHL's plans to resume. Uh, so maybe we can talk hockey. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. So uh, that's episode 81. And... Uh, <laughs>